Oh, the water's selling. I'm squeezing it, squeezing it. We have a more important thing to talk about. (laughs) More important than lung water? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Mystery Maniacs. Welcome to Mystery Maniacs. I'm Sarah. I'm Mark. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV. Each week we dig into an episode of a show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. Zany. Zany. You use zany this week to describe an episode, and I was like, yeah, I like that. Zany kind of, loony is one thing, but zany kind of captures if you haven't watched the the first episode of Brokenwood and the trailer for the new season of Brokenwood, zany is the word. Yes. <laughs> Today we're covering Murdoch season one, episode eight, Still Waters. We are going to spoil this. Yes. If you have not seen this episode and you don't want to know who the killer is, don't listen. And if you can walk through the fo- your children can walk through the forest with uh, an ex spouse of yours and talk about spanking, then you. Then they can listen they to the can show. They can listen to this episode. <laughs> they weren't married. It, it wasn't Julia's ex-spouse. No, no. That's that's a bit more serious. Oh, what goes on in Sherbrooke stays in Sherbrooke. <laughs> <laughs> Originally aired on the 9th of May, 2008, directed by Don McBrearty. Brearty? B-R-E-A-R-T-Y. Brearty. Brearty. And Derek Schreier. I say that like definitively like I know but that's what I'm going with. Hey, we're trying to raise money, as much money as possible, for target ovarian cancer. Uh, it's ovarian cancer month right now, and we're also going to match whatever you purchase. Buy some merch. It's a donation. And, if you and you get a shirt If you don't have Murdoch stuff, there's stickers mm-hmm. you can get. Mm-hmm. You can get t-shirts with this, the show logo on them. Mm-hmm. And also, if you haven't watched Midsummer, hey, it's a heck of a show. Yeah. And then you'll get all the jokes. That's true. The yokes. But today, dead rowers. Yes. So this is episode eight of season one, Still Water. Which we've already said, baby. Oh, we did? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And you said when it aired and who directed it okay. and who wrote it and Thank all that. You. So you Thank can you. cut that. I'm getting the brain rightus. <laughs> Does that mean your brain's getting right? No. Arthritis of the brain. <laughs> oh, okay. Rightus, brainus. <laughs> Brightest, brightest, brokest. <laughs> okay. This is, the, this is the first of many episodes to come in Murdoch where kids find somebody dead in water at yes. the beginning of an episode. It is a common theme, so much so they play on it with a robot later. Later, on. yeah, in another season. <laughs> but these kids are playing hide and seek. Yes. And they find. A dead body. A man so the face earliest down. reference to hide and seek I can find is a Greek game called Apo Did Raskinda. What? That's what it's called. Apo Did Raskinda? Yes. A P O D I D R A S K I N D A. Hey, Bobby, do you want to go play Apo Raskinda? <laughs> One Apo Raskinda. I'll be Apo, you be Raskinda. Is that what we're <laughs> I saying? Guess. Uh, Julius Pollux in the second century wrote about it. He was a Greek writer. I thought you were going to say Julius Caesar played Apollo Risk, kind of. No. 
<laughs> well, he might have as a child. But, yeah. But he was Roman, so. Caligula might have played it. Like He was also Roman. Here, I'll, I'll hide a giant poisonous snake in your pants. <laughs> you see if you can find it. He was there was a, a painting discovered in the Herculeum that had kids playing hide and seek. Oh, how did they know they were playing hide and seek? Was Bad. there a kid leaning against a tree covering his eyes? Was there a, a speech balloon with numbers in it? It's amazing what you I, can find. I, 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 V, Again, those are Roman, not Greek. <laughs> v, I, V, I, I. Here I come. <laughs> Who's got right as brain as now? <laughs> I get Greek and Roman mixed up. <laughs> so there's a common thing that I'm actually going to provide a service for a couple of times in this episode. Most people who arrive in Toronto uh, who are not used to Toronto say seagulls mm. because we're in the middle of a continent. Yeah. And Toronto, though, is near Lake Ontario, which is a giant lake. And yeah. if you're not used to the Great Lakes, you think, oh, there are lakes like the lake in my neighborhood. There are gulls that are not sea gulls. Oh, I know. The lake that I grew up I think, on had seagulls. I think there's a I think there's a thing that's like there is no such thing as a seagull. Yeah. It's it is we get gulls you in Indiana. Correct. You're absolutely correct. But I I've been in Toronto with people from not from Toronto who yeah. are like seagulls. They underestimate yes. the size of the lakes yes. and the fact that they're connected and they do lead to the ocean eventually. Yes. What do you do when you find a dead dude? Mm, run away. Poke him with a stick. Well, yeah, you got to poke gotta him with poke a stick. Poke him with a stick. You got to say, sir, sir, and then you poke him with a stick. Yeah. So just remember, if you're going to scare the crap out of little kids by playing dead, get through the sir part or the madam part. And then hop up before they poke you with a stick. No, even go through the poke with the stick part and then hop up. Oh, you got... It depends how hard they poke you it's with a stick. It's hilarious at that point. <laughs> oh, I don't want to float face down in water long enough for some kids to find me. No. <laughs> you snorkel or something. Meanwhile, back at the cop shop, Murdoch has a prototype of a lie detector machine. And this is where Murdoch is getting good with... They're figuring zaniness. out tone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of many, many times when Murdoch, quote, invents something, end quote, ahead of its reality. Or he's up with the times of what scientists are doing elsewhere and trying it on his own or something. Now, longtime listeners might have known that I did dissertation work on deception, which included machine deception detection, which is why we have... A lie detector in her house. Uh, it's about four feet away from me right now. Yes, it a makes polygraph this machine. noise when it starts up. Which is excellent. You've used that sound before, haven't you? I have you? used that sound before. Well, but what he's invented is a pneumograph. Yes. Which is different than a polygraph. Yes. In that it only detects your breathing rate. Yes. So this is all under the guise of instruments to detect physiological signs of stress of related stress to lying. Related to lying. What if you just hold your breath? All of these things have ways to be beaten. But this pneumograph, you just hold your breath. Just hold your breath. Or do really deep, slow breathing. <sighs> I do that. I'm when not I, lying. I do that when I do the my blood pressure thing, which is why I get so low numbers all the time. Speaking of that, yes, 
I have something for you. Here. Oh, okay. I would like you to pronounce this word. It's the sphygmo monomer. What you want to try again? The sphygmo sphygmo monomer. That is the name, the scientific name for a blood pressure cuff. Okay. Sphygmo monometer. That's what I said. Sphygmo monometer. Yeah, sphygmo monometer. <laughs> That's you, what I said. You did a pretty good job. I did. The second time. Yes. <laughs> it's an unnecessarily fancy word for a blood pressure cuff. It is indeed. Sphygmo. Hand me the sphygmo monometer. Yeah. So they talk a little bit about other ways to detect lying. Okay, they talk about the most typical ways that people say. Like, um, there was a show about a lie detector guy on Fox a number of years ago, and they went through all these things. The too. lie to me show? Yeah, lie to me. They pass an egg around. Yeah. You suck rice. Yeah. Well, I read an article from 1939 on the history of lie detection that okay. went all the way back to BC times. Nice. And extracted a few... Tasty examples. Okay. That it, were not mentioned now, in the episode. As as I mentioned to you, I think I've read this article when I was doing my dissertation work, but I could have forgotten all of it. So the first one that I found that I thought was fun is from a Vedic papyrus 900 BC. Okay. Okay. Specifically about how to find a poisoner to see if a poisoner is lying. Okay. I don't know why it's so specific. I don't oh. know if you need a different lie detecting... Uh, you know, techniques for different kinds of lies. That would be kind of complicated, I think. But, uh, and I quote. Okay. A person who gives poison may be recognized. He does not answer questions or they are evasive answers. He speaks nonsense, rubs the great toe along the ground and shivers. <laughs> now, is that his big toe? Or yes. is that like the great toe? No, it's his big toe. <laughs> okay. His face is discolored. He rubs the roots of his hair with his fingers, and he tries by every means to leave the house. <laughs> That's all liars. <laughs> so if you see somebody rubbing their big toe on the ground and they keep trying to leave, they might be a poisoner. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They might have stabbed somebody, but, you know. Move it, not your great toe. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you rub it on the ceiling, you're probably okay. But yep. if you rub it on the floor, oh, poisoner, poisoner. Great toe poisoner. Or if you were in the north of Bengal at about the same time, you might have had to endure the red, red hot iron ordeal. Oh, this is not good. Do you want to guess what it is? I think you had to hold on to a, a red hot iron. And if you let go, you were lying. But if you held on, you spoke the truth. That's a later version, and what it actually was was you had to hold it, hold on to it, and if you didn't blister, you were telling the truth. Oh! But if you did blister, you were a liar. It's like drown. This, this put, is the whole witch's yeah, catch twenty two. If thing. the witch floats, yeah. she's yeah. No, the the red hot iron ordeal at this time was you had to prove your innocence by touching your tongue to a red hot iron nine times. If it burned you, you were put to death. bad. <laughs> <laughs> so if your mouth is real spitty, it wouldn't burn you. Yeah. Right? But if it was dry, it would probably be more likely to burn you. That's the reasoning behind it. So the idea is that liars have drier mouths because they're nervous? I yeah, guess. I think so. I think I'd be nervous if you were going to touch my tongue with a red hot iron nine that, times. That thing that bad man. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Bad man. And, and then a half. V-I-I-I. 
as a father. <laughs> You're a nerd. <laughs> of course, if it burned you before the ninth time, you were put to death too. Oh, okay. So if it went black really, tongue really, the first you, time, you're, you're down. If you've reached that point where they're like, this or you're put to death. Yeah. You, you have failed somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I've saved the best for last though. Okay. This is from around 600 BC. I, I did, was not able to determine where. I'm sorry. But it was called the ordeal of balance. Okay. So you were put on a scale and on the other side was a counterbalance that equally balanced you out. So it weighed the same as you. Okay. Okay. Then you get off the scale and the judge would deliver an exhortation about your crimes, about what you're accused of. Okay. Okay. Then you got back on the scale. And if you were found to be lighter than before, you were innocent. That makes no sense at all. (laughs) It's not scientific. But can you guess why it might have worked? Well. Maybe not accurately, but why some people might have been acquitted. You sweat more, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Like you stand there sweating? I guess. I would. So the theory, based on metabolic research, is that you basically lose about 12 grams an hour constantly just through metabolism. So if you're not eating while you're standing there, drinking a bunch of water or whatever, which you certainly would not want to do, right? You, you might even be trying to take your clothes off while I you're standing like, there. Excuse me while I go to the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> if the judge went on longer, you were more likely to weigh less by the time you got on the scale. Oh, so if you were smart, you'd argue a bit uh, while the judge was doing his thing, thereby making it a longer period of time before you got back on the scale. And it was a very, very precise scale, apparently. So you would be acquitted. That didn't exist at that time, no. Oh, I think so. It's not how this works. <laughs> there was a weird one from Africa where all the people who might have done it had to stand in a circle and this... Um, they called him a witch doctor, went into a trance and would randomly lunge at people and nuzzle their necks and smell at them. Yeah. And then he would go back into the trance and then he would do it again. And sometimes it took hours and hours. Yeah. But then he would eventually, eventually he would smell somebody and say they did it. Yeah. I remember hearing about that one. That one might work. The longer you stand there, the more nervous you might get, the more you might sweat. And he's just looking for the stinky person. Maybe. You're the stinkiest in the ring. You did it. And now you weigh less. I'm glad that we don't rely on those things anymore. Yes, so am I. And I'm also glad we don't make misogynistic jokes like Bracken Reed does. (laughs) (laughs) That his wife is a lie detector. Maybe it's just that he's a bad liar. I love Margaret. So anything that says... Margaret Bracken Reed. Anything that says bad things about Margaret, I don't like. Mm. He should be happy. But poor Murdoch is strapped into his own device. Did he tie himself into No, Crabtree helped him, obviously. And then Julia comes in. They're like, ooh, that's like Julia. Talk about hazing. Yeah, there's a total hazing. He did this to himself, though. Yep. He should have put Henry in the chair and strapped him in. Yes. Henry is a wee baby in this scene. You see really how young he is. My, he is a wee baby. 22 Ontario Street would have been an actual address in old Toronto. I know where it's between Adelaide and King Street. Is it a good neighborhood now? Oh, yeah, super nice neighborhood. But we don't know what it was like then. No. But that's where Murdoch says he lives. Yeah, a little street that goes between King and Adelaide. So, Let's go back to the dead body. Do you go every Sunday? Oh, George is just perfect in this episode. 
episode. He is. He's so good. He's fantastic. Saved by the whistle. And I love how Murdoch is, get me out of here. Yeah, oh, yeah he is. He's not going to get left behind. He's strapped in. And we find at the scene of the crime, Richard Hartley. He's doing some good dead body acting he here. He's doing some fan. He even gets rolled over. Fantastic dead body. And I love how Julie is like, I know everyone involved now. Yes, these are all Richie Fancy people. So I know them all. He's a member of the rowing team. Yes. At the rowing club. Yes. Fancy schmancy. And he has a fiance with the most fantastic name, Minerva Fairchild. <laughs> it is very much a Richie Rich name. It is either a Richie Rich name or... That's the old lady who lives in the woods. She's who, a witch! Who cures my acne. Minerva. Minerva. She's played by um, Charlotte Sullivan. Yes. She is so beautiful. She's unfairly pretty. It's not It's not fair for people to be that pretty. Um, but she can't stop smoking constantly. That's all she does is stand around on the um, bleachers for the rowing club and smoke in a very roughly dress. Yes. Like she looks like a fluffy ice cream cone all the time. They are on the men's eight, getting ready for the upcoming Olympics. There are some problems with that. We are aware of them. The problems being that there weren't rowing events in that year of the Olympics, that Canadians didn't have a team for it because there wasn't an event for it. We're just going to suspend our disbelief and pretend that that was happening. You know what never gets old, even in 1895? The broken phone gang. Yeah. Sorry, sir. Can't hear you. Can't hear you, sir. Bad line. Click. He calls him a prick again with the prick word. Woo. Woo. Bracken Reed. He better hope that that phone was actually hung up before he says that. I don't think I would have trusted phones at that that time to actually have severed the call and have my boss not hear me call him a prick behind his back. (laughs) Pull it out of the wall. (laughs) Maybe. <laughs> like, like his boss wouldn't know exactly what Bracken Reed that's was an- doing. That's another thing that we've lost. Like, we've lost the ability to hang up on somebody that is satisfying. Yeah. When you used to hang up a phone, you could it slam was like, it. Bam, bam, oh. Yeah. Right. The other thing is, you can't take the fall the phone out of the wall anymore. You can turn your phone off. You I can guess. turn it off, but it doesn't have the physicalness. It's not of, as satisfying. Just, I'm gonna take the phone right out of the wall. I'm gonna block you. <laughs> I'm gonna send you straight to voicemail from now on. Ha ha! It's just not. No, it's not as satisfying. No. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. This is a weird question. Okay. He is on the men's eight team. Yes. Okay. Hartley is, yes. Yes. He's a dead guy. Yes. He's dead. Yes. Uh, The guy who he replaced. Horace Briggs. Horace Briggs. The gardener. Is out rowing on a single skull. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. There are eight people in the boat. Mm Mm-hmm. Who's the eighth guy? Who's filling in? Yeah. And and you're not counting the collar at the front, the coxswain at the front. No. You're saying there are eight rowers. Mm Mm-hmm. I counted. Um, Bob. Some random dude. Okay. Speaking of sculling, yes. you you correctly said that. Yep. That Horace Briggs is in a boat. Do you know why it's a skull? No. Because he has two oars. Oh. If each rower has two oars, it's a skull. It's skulls. If they only have one oar and they alternate sides, each rower alternates sides, it's called a sweep. Ah, uh, okay. Did you know that there was a difference? I knew there was a difference. I didn't know what the difference was. There's so much going on in terms of... 
like ambidextrous rowers and right-handed rowers. And if you're doing a, if you um, row a sweep, it's much more complicated to put together a team. Yeah. Because you need right-handed and left-handed rowers. And it, from what I read, correct me if I'm wrong, people, if you know more about this, it doesn't have a lot to do with whether you're right or left-handed either. Oh, I don't think so. There are people who are just better at one side than the other, and you don't want to be swapped. No. You don't want that to happen. No. And so this is, uh, in Canada, rowing is far more popular than it is here. Yeah, because it's a little bit British, isn't it? It's a little bit British. It's a little bit Ponzi. And we win a bunch of medals at the Olympics. In America, we're like, hey, get in a bass boat. We we are. <laughs> we are. We got outboard motors. We don't have to do that and stuff. international power in rowing in the Olympics. I love the Olympics, and I love rowing because Canada wins medals. <laughs> <laughs> Is it your favorite summer Olympic event? No, no, I don't think so. I like all, I love the Olympics. Of course, I love the Winter Olympics more. I, I really got into men's eight and women's eight rugby the last time. Mm. That was super interesting. I love all the weird sports like reverse handball and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I love all those weird sports. Like I'll the watch pe- all the Olympics. people who it's have fun. to ski and shoot yeah. and then jump out of a parachute oh, that, that's, and skydive. The skiing and shooting shoot again. thing is the most. <laughs> incredibly interesting sport in the winter Olympics, except for of course, hockey. It's I love them all. I didn't so. realize that uh, rowing has its own little like shorthand for men's or women's, yep. how many people are in the boat. Yep. And then whether it has a coxswain or not. So if you see like M four minus, that means that it's men's four men team, no coxswain. Yeah which means there's no collar at the front of the boat. Yeah. But if you see like W8 plus, that means it's women's eight rowers with a coxswain. Like in high school and gym class, we did rowing. You did? Yeah, because the, the canoe club was near us. You went in the water? Yeah. You didn't just sit in a boat on the gym floor and pretend? No. Because <laughs> that's what we would have done. <laughs> no. We. <laughs> when you were doing rowing, guess what we were doing? Square dancing. Square dancing. Yeah. That's right. We That's also right. did curling and you were doing square dancing. We did not curl. No. And we're not we're not gonna make fun of rowing terms, even though there's a coxswain. Yep. Coxed and coxless boats. Yes. There's a coxless pair. Yes. Bow cox. Yep. Coxmate and my favorite, the cox box. The cox box. We've got it out of our system. Yep. Right? It's all out. <laughs> <laughs> So Richard Hartley replaced Horace Briggs on the rowing team and were led to believe initially that it was because Horace Briggs, the commoner on the team, he's the gardener. He could only be more of a trope if his dad was the gardener and he was the son of the gardener and he was a friend of the family. Well, we know he's a gardener because he has suspenders. Yes. And gets his hands dirty. Yep. They lead us to believe that it was a personality conflict, that Horace was not easy to get along, and that's why Richard replaced him on the boat. But in reality, Horace got bumped off the team because Richard was wealthier and suspected his girlfriend was having an affair with the gardener. Yeah. And so and got him kicked him, off the team. Wanted him gone. But but the rest of the team would rather have had Horace than Hartley. Yes. They wanted the gardener. He was better. Yes. He just leaves his boat on the edge of the water. Just leaves it there. I realize that. Does that bother you? Yes. <laughs> because that that boat, that skull, 
yes. is going to end up in the middle of the lake in about it five is. minutes, is it not? Somebody's going to have to swim out and get it. Probably Horace. Yes. Uh, Mark explains Canada in the early 19th, uh, early 20th century to our American friends. Oh, is this a Mark's Canada corner? Yes, Mark's okay. Canada corner. So you may have noticed the enormous amount of Union Jacks in this episode. Mm. So they're all over the canoe club. The, I just assumed the, it was because the they were Ponzi Canadians who would rather be British than Canadian. No, that is the Canadian flag at that point in time. Oh. Uh, we had a flag that was the Reunion Jack until the 60s. Meaning you didn't have your own flag. We didn't have our own flag. That's not the Canadian flag. No. You just didn't have one. We didn't have one, no. So it's the British flag. Yes. The Union Jack. And then You the just s- called it the Reunion Jack, which I think is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> then in the 60s, somebody sort of said, and the whole how we got our flag is super interesting, said, maybe we should have our own flag. <laughs> and that's where you get... Uh, the maple leaf. Good. Which is beautiful. I love our flag. I'm glad it's you guys fantastic. were able to get your own. Yes. It's important. We're a little slow. To <laughs> Especially the game. if you go to the Olympics and you've got the same flag as another team, that's kind of confusing. Yeah. Mm. Crabtree and Murdoch try coffee like it's new. It's not new. I try not to let the anachronisms bother me because they can be really fun. But this one doesn't make any sense to me. Coffee had been around for like 100 years in the States and in Canada. And it wasn't unusual for people of all classes to have it. I don't know why they act like it's special. Now, if they were like, this is espresso or something, or a latte, I'd be like, oh, frothy coffee, maybe that's new, or Italian coffee or something. Something, but no, it's clearly not new. It's there as a plot device so that, Creepy Murdoch at the end can go, hey, let's go for a coffee. (laughs) It's Julia who invites him for a coffee. I know, but he's still creepy. And it means that Crabtree can be all hopped up because he's had like eight. (laughs) I thought that we saw him more hopped up in this episode. Yeah, in my memory, he was yeah. too. He was hyped. That might because be of the another coffee. episode. Yeah, or maybe it was just a joke that we thought should have been there and Mark, wasn't. When Bracken reads doing the cocaine. Yes. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. There's a few episodes where Bracken Reed gets prescribed cocaine for like yes. a head cold or something. Something. Uh, yeah, he gets interesting for a little while. Speaking of interesting things, spankings to the bottom. <sighs> <laughs> I'm just going to put this out there. He gets hazed. Hartley gets hazed as a new member of the team. All hazing is horrible. Hazing is horrible. It's a form of bullying to the extreme. It's right out. And that's all I'm going to say about it. It never happened. But in reality, we initially get to think that this is a hazing thing gone wrong. Yeah. But they were purposefully over hazing him because they didn't want him on the team. Yeah. They wanted to beat him up so that he would be injured. Yeah. Yeah. So he couldn't row. So Horace could come back on the team, which is unusual that... The fancy people wanted the gardener back on the team because he they was better. They wanted to win. They wanted to win. He's a better rower. So they gave him a paddling. A paddling. And Murdoch has to talk with Julia's ex-boyfriend about it while walking in the woods. I just don't see the benefit of spanking. Like, awkward. Yes. So they, uh, <laughs> Julia and Isaac went to... Tash? Is that yes, his name? Tash. Went to Bishop's, which is in Sherbrooke, Quebec which is east of Montreal. Now, again, I mentioned to our friends in the United States, there are not 8 billion universities in Canada like there are in the United States. There are 92. And at that's, at this time, there are even fewer than 92. Why are there so few in comparison? Is it because they're all like 
started by the state in some way, or is it just there aren't as many people? It's a or? combination of two things. One, we have a tenth of the population right. that you have. And second of all, there is a huge, clear delineation between university graduate uh, educated and not university graduate uh, educated. Well, you have colleges and universities, right? And Two-year degrees and four-year degrees or yeah, plus. College is very much expected to be where you learn a skill for a job. Mm, a vocational school. I, I don't want my... That's not a bad thing to go to... Voc- no. You go to vocational school to get skills specific for a vocation. Yeah, and my brother for went, a field. went to college and he did very well for himself. And all, all my brothers and sisters went to college and yeah. did very well for themselves. And you went to university. And, and look I at you. Went, I went to university <laughs> and did better. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. First one since... <laughs> We got to Canada, but <laughs> uh, it was never in question that I was going to university. Because <laughs> you decided when you were like four, right? I think so. <laughs> I think so. You and me both. It's younger. It's younger sibling syndrome. Yeah. I I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be better than you. We also get to hear about the first case that Murdoch and Julia worked on together. Clayton Bowles. Wow, this is... I can see why there's no episode about this case, because it's a bit heavy. Yeah, and Murdoch just kind of throws it off. Yeah, there was this 14-year-old kid who killed his parents then hung himself in the yard. Anyway, like, what? (laughs) Wait? And Tash is like, oh, okay. Anyway, spanking? I don't know. Tash is like, this is just awful. I'm like, that's correct. They've left a mess. Yeah, they have. A big mess. If they were trying to cover a crime scene, if they thought, oh my gosh, Richard went off and we don't know what happened to him, wouldn't they have run out there and cleaned it up? This is two episodes in a row where people don't clean up after themselves. Yes. And it gets them in trouble. I don't like it at all. But you know what? We have. Hooligans? They don't clean up after themselves. Nope. Drive around on campus on a Sunday morning. Yep. It's everywhere. Yep. They just make a mess and then they go pass out somewhere. They just go pass out somewhere. Wow, this is the old part, old person's part of the episode. <laughs> Welcome to Foggy Corner, where we talk about how the youths of today Let make messes. Let me tell you about our children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, they're not on campus getting drunk, playing bags with sand, games with sandbags and leaving beer bottles everywhere. No. What's that game called? A cornhole. No, but uh, they are here making a mess. Anyway, let's move on to... A dungeon full of dandies. <laughs> That's my favorite line of the episode. <laughs> Bracken Reed is so worried about the rowers because they're the children of very wealthy, influential people, and we have to handle them with kid gloves. You know what kid gloves are, right? Yes, they're made from actual calf's leather. No, they're like made from baby goats. Baby goat leather, sorry. We baby goats who have nice, thin skin. Yep. So that they're very sensitive gloves. Do you know in this time, even in the 1890s, a woman without gloves was just as bad as a woman showing her boobs? Yeah, it was. Like, it was the equivalent. Like, Minerva is dressed appropriately, and Julia never is. No, Julia's like, I don't even wear gloves to slice people open, and then I just smear the blood on my clothes. (laughs) Come on into the club. Yeah. And here yeah. with, with the, the so cell Bracken full Reed, of dandies. Bracken Reed says, oh, now we've got a dungeon full of dandies. And <laughs> we have the great visual comedy of 
like it shows a cell full of miscreants. Yeah, the camera pans across the cells, and there's one full of drunks, obviously, and then there's all the dandies in a cell and together. I love, I love when there's actual visual humor in the filming. Yeah, and they, they do a great job. But they shouldn't put them all in the same cell. They're just going to corroborate their stories. Yes. Let us have a montage of the beatings. Of, or a montage of pneumographs. Yes. All these dudes undone by the blue Kool-Aid. He took off because you know we're lying because of the blue Kool-Aid. It rises in the tube. And then Mar- then Murdoch thinks, mm. and there's a montage of him thinking. Yes. Well, he has the his, uh, his brainiac moment where he flashes back and collates a bunch of evidence that we've seen. Yep. And he's like, ha ha, I got it. So it turns out it was all the coach's idea. It's like, I want the gardener back on the team. So you guys beat the hell out of this dandy so that he won't be able to row. Then we'll get the gardener back and then maybe we'll actually make the Olympics. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, we beat him too much. He ran off. He probably drowned. Oops. And the coach is like, well, let's frame frame the gardener for it then. Which... I guess since they already have an eighth yes. rower on the team, you counted, they've replaced him already, already with somebody else. I don't know how, but they would rather sacrifice one than seven. Like, yeah, because there's seven dandies. Yes. And then George starts to tell stories. Oh, my gosh. The clay. Yep. So Hartley has dirt under his nails that isn't like the sand at Hell's Point where nope. they left the mess. It's clay. So now we're going to walk around the edge of this big lake Looking for clay. Yeah. What? Yeah. How well do you know the shoreline? I know there is a, a four foot stretch on one side of the lake where there's clay and it's nowhere else. Yeah. No. No, that's not how it works. But it gives George an opportunity to talk about his neighbor's pottery. Yes. <laughs> maybe he maybe he was into pottery. My neighbor made a bust of his wife that looks like uh, an infant. Amphibian of some sort with great bulging eyes. It, it was terrifying, really. I'd prefer if we wouldn't talk about it anymore. This is definitely... <laughs> I just have this image of Swamp Thing. Like <laughs> He's like, Edna, I'm going to make a bust of you. I'm into this pottery stuff now. And he turns around and it's Swamp Thing with the gills <laughs> and the big eyes and everything. George, played by Johnny Harris here. I bet there is... 30 of these. Oh, yeah. 30 takes where he just where he ad-libbed whatever just he wanted to. What and he it was funny. To about clay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, ladies put that on their face now as a mask. To, to Not that I would know about face masks that leave your skin nice and soft and supple. I don't do that. Murdoch, Yannick Basson does an amazing job of not laughing. Oh, uh, it keeps a good straight face. Yes. The bulgy eyes. Yes. <laughs> and then... Uh, I know that medicine was different. I know that they didn't have the same standards we have. But Julia really enjoys squeezing lungs. May I have my lung water now, please? <laughs> <laughs> but she gets those lungs out and she's like, oh, the water's still in them. Squeezing okay. it, squeezing it. We have a more important thing to talk about. More important than lung water? Yes. <laughs> yes. So... They're looking at each other, mm. and the music swells, mm-hmm. and the kissy-kissy happens. Mm-hmm. And then they're both kind of like, oh, who is having that dream? Murdoch. You think Murdoch? Yep. I think Murdoch is imagining kissing Julia. I don't know. I think Julia. Because I, I think if it was Julia, she would have just kissed him. Oh, I don't know. Even if she was holding the lung in her hands. Our first kiss was over a <laughs> lung. 
<laughs> May I please have my lug water? <laughs> I think it's him because he's discombobulated because he's been caught staring at her because he's having a little daydream and then he's, you know, he's all flubbered up and he has to go, hey, can I have my lung water, please? Goodbye. By the way, folks, here's Mark's social corner here. <laughs> We've had a lot of corners today. Uh-huh. If someone tells you in your life that they don't have much of a social life these days, they're flirting with you. They're asking you to ask them out. Yes. But I would like to have a social life with you if you would invite me someplace. That's what they're actually saying. Anyway, the lung water smells of lavender. <laughs> I'm not smelling anybody's lung water. No. I don't care if you've boiled it. If you, Especially when it's strawberry Kool-Aid. <laughs> if you raise a dish to my face and say, smell this lung water, that's worse than like, smell this, I think it's bad. Yeah. You know, has this milk gone bad? I don't know. Smell it. You smell it. Does it smell bad to you? Yeah. No! I, I don't want to try that. No. But Crabtree's reaction's funny. It smells like lavender. You know, my aunts use this stuff in the bath. It makes your skin soft. Not that I would know. I wouldn't know anything about that. I've never used it. Mm -mm -mm. No. They do a very good job. (laughs) I bet you George smells really nice. I bet you his aunts send him little packages of good stuff. It's great writing because you know exactly what's going on with George, and no one calls him out on it. No one has to say... And now we have to complete the joke and say George uses for uh, <laughs> lavender. lavender water. <laughs> it's bad. Like that's never there, and that's <laughs> mature, smart writing. Mm-hmm. Well, we find out Minerva had a love shack, even though she didn't love Richard. She set up a love shack, and then he was late, so she changed her mind about their entire lives together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. It started out as a romantic evening with candles and dinner and everything, but then he was late and she smoked so much she decided she didn't want to marry him. I think that they kind of flubbed it there because she clearly didn't like him in the beginning (laughs) already. He chose me. Yeah. I didn't choose him. She was trapped in that engagement. And then this is where, throughout the entire episode, Minerva is aloof, smoking harlot, Mm -hmm. right? Like... She is trapped in a gilded cage of her richness. Well, you don't even think you're. she's trapped. You just think she's so aloof and poncy. Mm. But now you begin to sympathize with her. And realize she's in a gilded cage. Yeah. And it's so hard to be so beautiful and rich. Well, he kind of almost forces himself on her. So I have incredible sympathy for her. Now. He is bad. He's the bad don't dude. Don't get me wrong. Yep. So she's got the love shack all set up. Yep. Richard shows up late and beat all to hell. And she goes, by the way, I break up. Is that what she would say? Like, what happened to you? She's been working up the nerve all night, I think. She dislikes him so much that even when he shows up beat to heck, she's still ready to dump him. And he says, oh, I'll, I just need a bath. Yes. I just need a warm soak in lavender water. If only I had to a bath. Feel be- <laughs> to feel better. Would that not make you, like, if you had abrasions and open wounds, would that not be like, ah! I don't know. I think it would be irritating to have oil in your water if you were I would think so. covered in open wounds and bleeding feet. And we know this because there's bone meal mixed with the lung water. It's, and it's glowing. Phosphorus. It's glowing. It's glowing. It's phosphorescent. Because it's got phosphate. Yep. I think. Does this break the rule? Like, we know he's a gardener. Does, Mur- Does Murdoch break the rule here? What rule? That you have to know everything. Mm, that that the detective can't know things that we as viewers don't know. Yeah. He tells us it's glowing bone. Yeah. We have to figure out what that means. Yeah. I mean, I've got a 
bag of bone meal in the garage. Yeah. For flower pots. I mean, it's not that rare. I've never checked to see if it glows in the dark. I don't think it does. It might glow under UV light, which is not yeah. what's coming from his oil lamp. No. But I'm I'm just kind of impressed that he can recognize a, a sand-sized fragment of bone yeah. under a microscope. But I do like his little glasses with the microscope oh, built into his little glasses. Oh, Murdoch gadgets are right on in this episode. He's got fancy, fancy. I have in my notes, it says... Glowing phosphate bone fragments in lunch water <laughs> instead of lung water. Um, so she like, takes off. Ooh, don't drink that with your lunch. Horace goes in and confronts him and kills him in the in mm-hmm. the tub. And then they hide the body at the lake. So the tragedy here is that Horace doesn't know that Minerva and Richard broke up. But he knows she left. So does he... See, I'm confused by this. They act like it's this tragedy that if Horace had known that she dumped him, that he wouldn't have had to kill him. Yeah. Like, but she left the place. And she was obviously distraught. She ran away from the love shack. So it wouldn't have been a big leap to assume that they would then, if they hadn't already split up, that they would have split up soon. Yeah. I I didn't get that part. I'm not, I don't. And I think they easily could have a case, not to jump to the end, but easily have a case of he was attacking her and so I stopped him and we accidentally killed him. I stopped him by running him a nice warm bath and shoving his head in it. Well, maybe you could push him in the bath accidentally and he hit his head. But he doesn't have a head injury. He's got lots of injuries. Plus, Julie's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's romantic. Give me a cigarette, Minerva. So they must have taken his body from the nice warm bath and dumped him in the lake. All oiled, too, by the way. He would Lavender been oiled. Only from, like, the waist up. <laughs> <laughs> from the waist down, he would have smelled Don't lake. drop him! <laughs> but then they have to dump him in the lake to make it look like he drowned. Yes. Which means that Minerva would have had to explain to Horace what happened to Richard before that he got there. Like, he showed up, beat up. Yeah. So, in a way, Horace and Minerva are sort of framing the rowing team. Almost. Kind of, yeah. Just like they then try to frame him. Where does the blood on the oar come from if it's not Richard's? There's blood all around. But they, the rowing team purposely puts it on the oar to frame Horace. Yeah. yeah. So, one of them, like, cuts their finger and smears it on the oar? Well, we haven't mentioned the whole oarsman beefcake scene. <laughs> The shirtless rowers. Because there is like, okay. Speaking of oily. (laughs) I think, I think that that is like, though that scene is refreshing almost in the sense that it's like, there are so many scenes of half naked women in all media. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I had to go in the dressing room of this can-can show and see all these women and just their corsets. Like, I thought that was a refreshing scene of, like, there were young men topless. Mm-hmm. And they were there clearly because they were beefcake. <laughs> They're all oiled up with lavender oil. No, we only have showers here. We don't have bathtubs at the rowing club. Well, except for in the love shacks. Well, in the love shacks are different. But in, but in the rowing team's clubhouse. I guess not. They don't have baths to luxuriate We haven't even talked in. about the concierge and how great he is. Let's talk about him. Okay. I love that Julia warns Murdoch about him. Yeah. Like, you better call ahead. And I think there's a scene where Bracken Reed does the same thing that gets cut. Mm. 
the, this is the first of many episodes of Murdoch where we see a class clash. Yes. Where being a policeman doesn't just give you free reign. Yes. Back then, because police women were seen more as tradesmen. Yeah. They, they literally tell him to go in the tradesman entrance. You don't have a membership right? card. He goes, this is my membership card. Yeah. And the concierge is like, so? We're rich. We're above the law. Yeah. Huh. But he's he's not rich. The concierge isn't rich. No. He just represents rich people. Yes. He's he, been bestowed. He is the gatekeeper. Fancy, fanciness yeah. upon him. And Murdoch is like, Murdoch is the son of a drunk. Yep. Who was basically left to Jesuits. Yep. So, like, he is in high class. No, he's not even middle class. He's kind of worked his way into lower middle class through his job, maybe. Yeah. But other than that, but Julia. Like at this on point in time, hand, when Murdoch says he lives on that street, we learn later on that he lives in a boarding house. Yeah, well, that was pretty common for single men. Yeah, though. single men lived in boarding houses. Yeah, who's so. going to do their like laundry George, and feed them if they don't? George and his bath live in a boarding house. <laughs> his fancy bathtub. The concierge is great, though. He does a really good job yeah. of being super snooty and then turning it off and on. Like when Julia walks in, he just changes completely. Yep. Just flip. He's polite. And then flip. And Julia knows. Julia went there because she knew that Murdoch was going to be in Not going to get anywhere in there. Yeah. yeah. She shows up in her overly floral, roughly gathered dress with the lamb chop arms. I and- think they do such a good job of when when Julia is out of the morgue, you can sense that she's uncomfortable. Mm, that's her and, place. And that's Helena Joy's amazing acting. Because mm-hmm. even though she is raised in high society... She doesn't like it, and you can tell right away. Yeah, but she can still move in those circles. Yeah. So we have the final scene with Julia and Minerva, where the moral of the episode <laughs> arrives. <laughs> the moral of the episode is, if you only had traveled more. I don't think so. She's saying you don't have to be constrained by the societal rules that are here. Other places are different. Yes. And you are wealthy and young and single and you can travel and you can see that not every place is like this. Go to France and have an affair. Yes. (laughs) Go become a can-can dancer or something. Did you notice that Murdoch's kind of creepy? He's standing off to the side and just standing there while they talk. I thought he was being polite. You think he's creepy? He's a little creepy, but there's a more important thing at the very last scene. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know. So there's this whole discussion of coffee mm-hmm. and going for a coffee mm-hmm. and the implications of that coffee and the smoochies to come. Ooh la la. In the background, there's 30 people in modern clothes. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Like shorts and. What? I completely missed that yeah, right at the end in that closing way, scene. Way at the back on the other side of the bridge, but they're there. Oh, man. Bunch, that, a whole bunch of people. They must run into that all the time. They, it must it, be so hard. And it's a close-up of one of the characters, and you're like, oh, they couldn't. They couldn't get rid of that. No, they couldn't crop it out. They couldn't green screen it. Because it's do 2008. Anything. We're... We're at the very beginnings of digital media still yeah. in 2008. Yeah. Like, 
We're like, we could go backwards and forwards and cut. <laughs> it would have been a major ordeal yeah. to keep that footage and no, remove those people. No. And we'll put that in the show notes. But there are, <laughs> there are people back there, and I am almost 100% sure they're in modern dress. I don't know why they didn't just change the camera angle and like I don't. see them from the side looking out onto the water or something. I don't know, but it's there. Oh, the poor, the people who produce the show, they must constantly have to... Okay, no, we got to turn everybody 90 degrees here because we can't get rid of that thing in the background. Well, the giant tower yeah. <laughs> in Toronto. <right>? Yeah. <laughs> so what happens when you do TV normally is all this gets shot and then the director and the editor sit in a little room and do more or less story editing mm-hmm. along with like principal photography editing. Yeah. Right? It really comes alive. Television really comes alive in the editing bay with the director and the editor. Yeah. They're far more powerful than the writer and and things like that in American TV. Mm -hmm. So there must be like, oh, crap. But they must have a small army of people who are responsible for keeping people out of shot. Yeah, that's... That's any production company does that. And for choosing filming locations where it's easy to hide modern things in the background. Yeah, I tried to find where that bridge and the the grandstand were. I think it's in Galt, which is a small town in southern uh, Ontario, but I'm not sure 100%. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely people back there, and I'm almost positive they're in modern dress. Well, now I got to look. Yeah. So that is Still Waters, yes. episode eight of season one. What's what's our next one? So best, hold on, best oh. corpse. Oh, sorry. But there's only one. Yes. It's Richard. And he does a fantastic job after the credits. Uh, I don't think he gets hung. I think they can He's going to do a long time in jail. I, I think he goes to jail, but I think they can uh, figure out a case. The big question is whether Minerva will testify on his behalf. I think she probably will. Because if she does, I think he he will not be hanged. Well, but, I, th- I think it pisses off the people around her. And I think she's at that level now where she's like, screw them. Yeah. And maybe even the rowing team will say, yeah. he was not nice. Yeah. He was a really bad person. It's absolutely So it's possible. just a question of how influential the Hartleys are. Meanwhile, those boys are never going to play hide, hide and go seek, seek again. again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe they're the same kids in a later episode who find a body, another body or a robot or something. Maybe, something. So what's our next episode? What's episode nine? Our next episode, episode nine is the belly speaker. Well, belly speaker is what it's, not the belly speaker, but belly speaker. And wow, this episode, (laughs) this is one of my favorite episodes of Murdoch. Of all time. Wow. Of all 16 seasons. Yes. It's one of your favorites. Yep. You're setting it up. You're yep. building it up. Yep. It is fantastically weird. And the ending is awesome. And I love everything about it. And I haven't seen it in a long time. So I bet you I'm going to be like, like this episode, I was like, oh, this is a rowing episode. And then I'm like, oh, George is fantastic. Yeah. And then There's always something. They have all sorts of really good stuff. But you all should be looking forward to the belly speaker because it is a weird episode. Talk yes. about zany. Mystery Maniacs, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and email. Please take the time to follow us on all those things. It helps all sorts of ways that you don't know about, as well as on YouTube, like and subscribe the videos and buy some merch. 
You can even hop over to the subreddit for yes, the show. We have a subreddit of the show which discussed uh, what to do when we don't have an episode. <laughs> or how quickly you can get a gravestone made. Yes. Yeah. So Just all kinds of fun stuff. Thank you all so much for listening. We've had a crazy busy week and this has been the best end to it. I agree. All right. Until next time. Bye, bye. maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs.